Welcome back to the Winkley. It is me, your host, the managing editor of Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman. Joined here as I am every Wednesday by my good friend, Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back to the Winkley. Good to be back. Uh, I'm not even going to lie. I've been experiencing technical difficulties this morning. And Justin, you have been an absolute saint helping to, to, to stay tight and ready to go here for the Winkley today. I have to send much love to you to start the show off today. Oh, I've been here doing jumping jacks, staying loose. i got to be ready for action. Well, we are loose, and we are ready for action here today. we got a lot of news to get to here, but after the news, i got two big interviews that I could not be more thrilled to release here upon your ear holes. Uh, the first one you're going to hear right after the news is from ECW Original, The Blue Meanie. Meanie recently went on Twitter talking all about Cody Rhodes, the chair shot he took at Fighter Fest, the unprotected chair shot. The art of how to gimmick a chair. So I reached out to him. We're going to talk about how do you how do you gimmick a steel chair? You're going to find that out here today. We're also going to talk about his former boss, Paul Heyman, the role that he's got now as creative for uh, WWE Raw. And uh, after the Blue Meanie, we are going to have... I didn't know these guys were friends. Turns out these guys are very good friends. Uh, right after the Blue Meanie, you're going to hear uh, me chat for about an hour. Longer interview than usual with the runner-up for Season 8 of America's Got Talent, Taylor... Williamson is going to be in the house here today talking about comedy, talking about the state of professional wrestling, talking about how is America's Got Talent scripted like WWE. Fascinating stuff here today, Justin. Sounds like it. Yeah, very excited. Can't wait to release it on you, but let's get to it here. News you can use, news that will leave a bruise. We're going to start off with some of the fallout from last night's episode of SmackDown. Now, uh, SmackDown last night, before we get into some of the, the bullet points, the newsworthy stuff coming out of the show, I wanted to note the Wrestling Observer reporting that Eric Bischoff, the alleged new executive producer for WWE SmackDown, was not at SmackDown last night. In fact, the Observer reporting that Bischoff had zero impact on the SmackDown script and was not involved in any of the creative meetings for the show. Justin, what do you make of that? <laughs> well, I, I make that... Uh... Good for him. That story got out, so he doesn't have to get linked or blamed for that episode last no night. No kidding, right? Jesus. Why do you think that Eric's been uh, absent here from creative meetings as of late? Do you think it's just travel? I know he's moving his dog and horse, or not horses. I think he sold the horses, dog and wife and belonging to to Stanford here. Do you think that's all there is, or, or do you think there's more to this? Um, I mean, I think it's probably just a bunch of factors. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any like. I don't think there's any like big story that like we're we're missing. I, I think it's the mixture of you know moving, you know moving you know his life from from Wyoming to to, to Connecticut, and then um, I, I think it's also a case of you know again it's easier for Paul Heyman to slide in and kind of get his clean slate so to speak. And as I said to you when we first started talking about this, when the news came out weeks ago that they had been uh, hired. Uh, for these roles, you know, it, it, Paul's there. Paul's been working with talent already just, just by being there, uh, you know, so Eric's going to have a little bit more of a, a catching up to do. And and I would imagine, again, you know, you, you obviously you want him, you know, him starting, if, if he would have started this past week, that, that would have been fine. It would have made sense because it's like, okay, you know, now you just got done one pay-per-view. Now you have the bill to SummerSlam. I mean, at this point, the fact that there's only three more Rawls and SmackDowns before it's SummerSlam uh, I would imagine at this point it might now turn into okay he doesn't start until the one after SummerSlam you know or maybe he starts being around more you know, just present I mean physically but I can imagine he might not completely take over things in his role until 
after SummerSlam because, you know, again, they're already starting to make SummerSlam matches, so it, just, it might be tough for him to jump in. So I, I think it's just a lot of just logistics. I don't think there's much of a – I don't think there's anything controversial going on if that's what you are asking. Now, what I'm wondering – well, another thing I was wondering about watching SmackDown last night was uh, – now, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I paused the show accidentally for a second here, but wasn't there – didn't the show run long? Didn't SmackDown run to like uh, two, two minutes after the hour last night? Not – not for me. No, okay. it went out right at. I'm on the East Coast time. It went. It was out right at ten o'clock. All right, that's the thing. Is I was wondering. I didn't know if I was sitting there and maybe it accidentally paused up for too long. But I thought that the. I thought there was a little bit of an overrun last night. I could be wrong, but maybe maybe that was the case. I don't know. Uh, no, it, for me it ended right at ten. It ended right there. I'm wondering if I wonder when I paused it for two minutes. Then it was weird. Anyway, um, well, also we got some news coming out. You know, and as we say, you know, SmackDown last night raw for me too. A little bland this week. Little 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 bland this week for me, Raw and SmackDown. But there was some news. There was far more news coming out of SmackDown last night when I sat down to put the run sheet together than there was coming out of Raw. Now, first of all, Randy Orton pinned Kofi Kingston in the main event of SmackDown last night. It looks like there's a title match possible between these two at SummerSlam. Uh, is Randy Orton the guy to go with here, you think, for, for a title program with Kofi Kingston at, at SummerSlam? Uh, he's... Yeah, I'm fine with it on the on the basis of, again, I don't think Kofi's going to lose it to Randy Orton. And, you know, Kofi, um, you know, we said him against, you know, you know Samoa Joe hasn't beaten anybody. So it's like, you know, beating Randy Orton I mean, is, is one of the most credible people you can you can beat. So it'll it'll just help the overall uh, title reign when it's all said and done that Kofi's having. So I'm fine with it. And, it's, and I think it fits really well in the sense of, you know, prior to Kofi's, you know, I mean, in Kofi's singles career. Um, Randy Orton was always kind of like the highlight, right? I mean, yeah. before there was a new day when it was, when it was, you know, trouble in paradise, Kofi Kingston, you know, that was, that was the height of, of Kofi's singles was, was this work with Randy Orton uh, a decade ago. Yeah. So there's kind of a, a, a cool kind of full circle here with this. So I'm fine with it. Yeah, I think it's great. I hope they play off the history between these two. You're absolutely right. Before Kofi's big run here, Randy was, uh, you know, the kind of the benchmark for, for how successfully Kofi Kingston had been pushed. So a lot to play with here, but, I don't feel like Randy's going to take this title, right? I mean, and that makes no. me wonder, how long does Kofi Kingston keep this title for? You know, they seem very happy with him in this position. I mean, again, I, I could see, you know, again, we, we mentioned I could see him going just up to when they go to Fox. And, you know, I still don't think it's out of the question that Brock Lesnar is is the champion as they go into uh, Fox, whether he wins it prior or on that day or what have you. I mean, I think, I, I think Brock, not to veer off too much, I think Brock's going to lose. Um, I don't know. I, I don't see Brock going too long with this universal title run um, anyways. So, I mean, it was, I think Kofi can go into the fall, but then after that, he drops it somewhere. Really? You think Seth has a good shot at taking this thing back here at SummerSlam from Brock? I, I don't know if it's going to be Seth. I, and again, not to make this a, a raw podcast here. I, I I'm I'm not sure what the hell is happening there, but I don't see Brock holding it for too long. Uh, I just don't. Huh. Interesting. Because I I've, I've actually very much saw Brock holding this thing for a while here. I just was more worried about wondering about Kofi here. Interesting. Uh, well, also Bailey here. She has officially challenged Ember Moon to a match at SummerSlam after their big tag victory over Mandy and Sonya Deville last night on SmackDown. Uh, this one caught me completely out of nowhere. I mean, I don't hate it. But, I mean, they haven't really done anything with Ember for a while here. I wonder what they do to, to heat these two up for a program here at SummerSlam. Yeah, you know, I'm a fan of Ember Moon. I think she has probably one of the best finishers. Um, I don't know how I feel about this babyface babyface because, like, there, there's, there's no heat behind it. You know, that's yeah. all in this, you know, nice admiration and respect. Um, I kind of wanted, when I watched SmackDown, I kind of wanted, once they, you know, 
had looked at each other and kind of made it official that it's going to be Ember Moon versus Bailey. I kind of wanted Ember to do something, maybe just to knock Bailey on her ass a little bit and just kind of just let, let her know, hey, you know, I, I I appreciate and respect you, but uh, I'm 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 not going to take a light on you. I, I I wanted something, just a little bit of fire, a little bit of heat, because um, I mean the babyface babyface thing. I feel like this could get relegated to the kickoff show. Yeah, I I agree. This again, yeah, not enough fire here between these two. Uh, I don't really know what to make of a, of a Bailey Ember confrontation, but you know, and again, over on the on the on the Raw side too, it's like Natalia Becky Lynch. It's like okay, I know it'll be a good match, but I you know I don't I don't know where you I don't know where we're going with this thing here. You know, um, very interesting time for the women's division. Um, I thought for, I think they they like intentionally teased and swerved us. I thought from Sasha Banks here. I think that's what everybody thought. Bailey was going to uh, bring up, bring her out at Extreme Rules to have her back, or going to SummerSlam. Sasha is still over in Japan or something like that. I don't know what's going on with her right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of, lot of speculation there. Uh, I've, I've, I've heard different rumblings through Grapevine that we that Ronda Rousey might be, might be uh, coming back into the mix sooner than maybe we all expected. So I, so I, I don't. If, everything right now in the women's division feel, feels like everything's on hold. Like the, everything's on hold, waiting for something else. Whether it's Sasha, whether it's Ronda, well, I don't know. Everything just feels like it's kind of like paused. You've heard rumblings about Ronda coming back into the mix. Isn't she supposed to be off like making a baby or something like that right now? Well, that's what I'm saying. I've I've heard I've had different people, you know, that, that have through, again through through the grapevine that have said they've heard that she might that it might be sooner than than we think that she might be back in the fold. So I so whether that means. I don't know what they, I don't want to speculate in my personal life, but uh, you know, but I haven't been able to. I don't have enough to, you know. I'm just saying what I've just you know random random rumbling. So again, that's why everything kind of feels like it's on hold. And I'm, you know, and there's a Sasha Banks rumors of, and then they certainly have been teasing. It certainly sounds like they teased Sasha Banks uh, on on programming recently. So it's it is a very weird time for the women at the moment. Yeah. Well, uh, also Ali briefly confronted Intercontinental Champion Shinsuke Nakamura backstage on SmackDown last night. Does look like those two are headed for a confrontation. We're starting to get an idea of the SummerSlam card. Uh, it's, again, it's like not that these matches are bad, and it's like I'm all for Ali and Nakamura. It's just out of nowhere here. Like, how do we how do we make these emotionally, uh, you know, and an emotion? Um, how do we get an emotional investment going in these bouts at the moment? Right. Yeah, again, it's like another. I mean, yeah. It's, it's again, it'll be great bell to bell. I'll be great once we get to the match. But it's you know, yeah. What what what's what's talking me into the building about it? Uh, well, also the Iconics took on the Kabuki Warriors last night on SmackDown. Uh, they intentionally got themselves ca- counted out, preserved their titles. This also looks likely for SummerSlam. You know, unlike the other stuff we've kind of talked about, I guess, you know, Randy Orton, you know, he had the Raw Battle Royal, you know, got the pin on Kofi, so a little bit of fire there. Um, but, yeah, you know, Kabuki Warriors Iconics, I thought of all the matches that they were building to in SummerSlam, this match probably got the best treatment on SmackDown. I was genuinely interested to see the Kabuki Warriors get another shot at these women after the cowardly, heelish way they acted on SmackDown. Yeah, it was a good finish for the Iconics. It made a lot of sense. That's kind of that's the kind of that's the kind of you know way out they would take. Um, I'm a fan of the Iconics. I mean, I'm a fan of Oscar and Kyrie. Uh, you know, I, I'm not you know I, I don't know if I'm crazy about them being a tag team and then the whole page thing is just kind of weird. But uh, yeah, I mean this 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 certainly is making for okay. Once it is finally you know once 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 the once the Kabuki Warriors for, you know certainly give the Iconics their comeuppance. I feel like it'll it'll be uh, it'll be worthwhile. Uh, well, uh, and lastly here coming out of SmackDown, Liv Morgan lost a match to Charlotte Flair. She then took Corey Graves' headset microphone very dramatically and said Charlotte was right. And when I come back, I'm going to be real. Of course, Charlotte had earlier in the night taken shots at her for having a blue tongue and all of that. Uh, but what do you what do you think we uh, where do you think we're going here with Liv Morgan? What is it? What's what's she going to do? She's going to be real. What's that mean? 
Well, I think we are going to get a character change, character evolution. I think, you know, maybe dropping the blue tongue. I think, you know, she doesn't, I mean, I don't, she, she doesn't even have her own individual music. I mean, I think, you know, like, you know, she had Riot Squad music for the longest time. Um, yeah. I think we'll just see a little bit more, um, just seriousness, a little, just a little bit more, again, like an evolution of her character. Um, you know, maybe, maybe she's, you know, talks, you know, even when she said, even when she said that, you know, I'm going to be a little more real, she's, her voice sounded different. Like, you know, just, I think we're going to get uh, an evolution of her character. And, and I mean, and, the 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 bit of offense that she did get in the match looked really good really so, good uh, really yeah. really good yeah she had a hurricane rana in that bout uh that i thought she just got some height on that i was like man she's moving well here tonight yeah yeah uh well let's uh let's take a look back here at monday night raw we have the uh, viewership information for monday night raw on monday night i think i said the word monday three times here in that sentence uh raw drew an average of 2.453 million viewers that is up 4.3% from last week's 2.352 million and is the third best audience for the show since the Superstar Shakeup in April. Which, by the way, we may still be in the Superstar Shakeup. I don't really know when it ended, but I, I digress. Uh, the first hour of the show drew 2.379 million. Second hour, pretty sizable increase here, 2.503, and then uh, down to 2.478. But both the second and the third hour did better than the first. I'm, I mean, like, I'm happy for them, right? Obviously, a lot of momentum coming out of Extreme Rules. I think they probably hooked people with that big Tan Man Battle Royal at the end of the show. What do you make of the the fact that, you know, I've heard a lot of criticisms uh, about how fans weren't really invested in Monday Night Raw, but the numbers would say very differently here, Justin. Yeah, I mean, there, there was there was highs and lows to that show. It was not the best Raw, but, yeah, they did a few things that, that, that are, I guess are being reflected in, in, the, in the ratings, which is... Um, I believe the the Bray Wyatt appearance happened right at the turn of the hour, oh, that's the, right. hour number two. Yeah. So that's smart. I mean, that, that's basic TV logic of you know as people as the as the hour changes, people are going to the guy looking to see what's on. You're flicking through the channels, and you know you you you, you certainly you, you see something like Bray Wyatt. I mean, that's that's an attention grabber. You know, so there's there's that. Um, they did hook you. I mean, they did hold the the ten man battle royal all the way to the end, and it really truly did well. Going into it, it felt like, wow, this is, you know, you can make a case for almost anybody, even even the, even the guys who, even the Cesaro's Big E's and such of the world. Like, you know, I think we all felt at least as a chance that this is, a, this is, this is, you know, them getting elevated. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, the, I think that the, the second of their hours did, did pretty well. I mean, that, that would be, you know, you know, I guess we, do we, we, I guess we credit Paul Heyman and say, you know, just good job hooking people the whole way through there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, next week, I think we're going to see an increase in ratings as well. Of course, it always happens when we bring, uh, the cavalcade of legends and hall of famers out. Uh, we're going to have the raw reunion next week. A couple new names have been added. Pat Patterson, Alundra blaze, Gerald Briscoe, and, uh, Lillian Garcia, Patterson and Briscoe. We're gonna have the stooges in the house for next week. I, I, all kinds of things you could do with that. Absolutely. You know, I was at um, I was at the Raw 25 that that, and I was in the Manhattan Center. I was one of the the the, the, the few that got to be in the Manhattan Center. Uh, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, and and I and I think this way more and more when they when they do these shows where they bring back everybody under the sun. I would just like them. I know they can't do it with everybody, but I would like to see more. I don't know how to word this here. I'd like to see more rubs that actually matter happen you know i i know certain times it's fine just stand alone just bring out said legend uh, you know whatever standalone moment here but i would like there to be more things um that that that, that, that a current character a current roster member does in, with that interaction that helps them whether whether it's whether it's if, if, if a legend 
whether if it's a legend can be physically attacked, you know, if they can deal with physicality, whether they can be attacked by a heel and, and it helps that heals heat, whether it's a baby, you know, a baby face helping. I don't know. It just, it, it needs to be, I, I, I don't, I hate it when it's just, just the parade of, of let's just play their music, have them come out to the, to the music that's very vintage and, and nostalgia. And that be that I, I, I'd like for there to be some purpose to the show where it doesn't feel like the show was just an isolated reunion. I like to feel like, Oh my God, this actually felt like a raw that's helping build to SummerSlam as well with this great cast of hall of famers. Yeah. Well, one hall of famer we know that will not be there actually is the rock is the rock in the hall of fame. I feel like he's in the hall of fame, right? He's not, he's, he's not. not, man. Well, he will be. Uh, the Observer reporting The Rock not going to be there. I guess that's not very, very surprising. The Rock very busy here. Um, but uh, it, his namesake show, it'll be interesting, SmackDown, uh, to see if they do a SmackDown 20th anniversary special. Uh, the first episode of SmackDown aired on April 22nd or 29th, 1999. It was a, a special one-off. It became a weekly regular show on August 26, 1999. So the 20th anniversary of the weekly series should be sometimes next month. What do you think? Do you think they, they go back to the well here? Another big reunion show here for SmackDown's 20th? I think you hold the 20th for, for when you get to Fox. I mean, again, because yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the excuse to um, get all the, you know, it's the, if, if that's the excuse to get Stone Cold and get, if you can get The Rock, you know, I mean, what, you only get one chance to make a first impression being on Fox. I think that would be a, a great hook. And again, if that first show on Fox is in LA at the Staples Center. So, you know, if, you know, if The Rock, who obviously spends a majority of his time out in LA, as far as we know, that makes life easier logistically. So I would hold it for October. Um, got an update here on Mickey James. Uh, her husband, Nick Aldis, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, tweeted out that Mickey James' surgery was successful. Uh, Mickey then, uh, a couple hours later, tweeted out, thank you for all the love, prayers, and well wishes. I am grateful. I'll be just fine. If I come back, I'm coming back. Bionic. If I come back. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty big statement there from Mickey. Well, I mean, she's. I think. I think she's going to be. If she's not already, she's like close to forty. I think. Yeah. I mean, so you know, at at, uh, at this point, you got to wonder. I mean, uh, you know, she, she might just have to evaluate how she feels and is is it you know weigh the risk, weigh the reward. I mean, uh, certainly. I mean, WWE is not WWE has not been in the business of letting people go. Not to say that they would think that Mickey James would be this huge threat over an AEW or that AEW would want Mickey James, but certainly, you know, maybe Mickey James hangs around if she doesn't want to do in-ring competition anymore. Maybe she you know works as a trainer at the PC. Lastly, here in our news block, we got a, an article here from the Star Tribune, former WWE, WCW, All Japan, and AW star, AWA star, the berserker John Nord, was sentenced to five years of probation on Monday in Hennepin County, Minnesota courtroom. The prosecutor argued that Nord should be sent to prison for more than four years because he represents a significant public safety threat because he continues to drive. Now, Nord has been arrested seven times for driving under the influence of drugs, mostly painkillers. The Tribune noted that the 59-year-old has ALS, uses a wheelchair these days, and has become a frequent abuser of prescription painkillers in recent years to cope with the damage to his body and brain from pro wrestling. His most recent arrest came on March 23rd of this year. He was charged with felony driving while intoxicated, operating a car under the influence of a controlled substance. Norton, his lawyer, said he is currently in treatment and will spend the rest of his life in an assisted living facility. Quam then placed Nord on five years probation under the condition that he stay in restrictive housing and do not drive whatsoever. Nord was ordered to come back to the court in three months to give an update on how he's doing. The judge said he does want to see Nord doing well. Heartbreaking story here, Justin. I hate to hear this. I especially hate to hear uh, the, the part about him 
abusing these painkillers because of what pro wrestling has done to him. Uh, just unfortunate. Uh, just really sad story here. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I know it's frustrating. You know, if if you were to not drive and have to find somebody to drive you around, I, I also understand. You know you know, having a problem and trying to get help for your addiction. Everybody gets a second chance, but I mean, seven times, seven. I mean, yeah. at, at, at some point it's just like, all right, you're done. We, we get, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, that's just too dangerous. And just a fun fact. I mean, the berserker, he was essentially a, a, a WWF version of, of bruiser Brody. Mm. Um, and it was actually 31 years ago today that bruiser Brody got stabbed uh, in Puerto Rico and where, which is where he died. I guess at this time, it is an ECW original. He's a member of the 2014 Hardcore Hall of Fame class. It is the Blue Meanie. Meanie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here today. Hey, what's up, brother? Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's good that we finally uh, connected after all this time. Yeah, man. Like, I feel like I, 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 like in my brain, in my, in my addled brain, I felt like we had chatted in a podcast setting before. But this is, I think, the first time we're really doing this thing. Yeah, man. Uh... I'm happy you finally asked. <laughs> I don't feel like a bridesmaid anymore, you know. We just, you know, talked in person. Now, you, now it's official. Now, yeah. now it counts. It's on the internet. It's real. Yeah, man. Well, let's get to here. Before we get into all the questions I have, uh, tell me about this title belt, the BWO title belt. This thing has been like all over my Twitter the past couple of days. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge belt mark. Um, like some people look at oil paintings or you know they go to uh, museums and look at paintings on the wall and i just like looking at championship belts and uh i like you know and, and, you know everybody's like oh i want to win the belt you know for markish reasons or you know professional reasons i just like belts because like i am always been a fan of like hard work and craftsmanship and stuff like that like growing up i could watch this old house or i watch anything like that but i always wanted a belt and, you know, I never wanted to get, like, I wanted something to be personal, you know, kind of like a tattoo. Like, all my tattoos have personal meaning. So I was like, dude, what can I do? And I was like, you know, thinking, I was like, you know, I, I saw Helms had, Shane Helms has the Hurricane belt. And, you know, Zach Ryder's got his belt with his hair on it. And I was like, man, what can I do? So I was like, you know, the only thing, and, well, and also Al Snow has the Job Squad belt that not too many people have seen, but I saw it. I was like, oh man, that's awesome. So I was like, dude, a, a, the perfect belt would be a BWO belt. And uh, I'm friends with uh, Andrew over at Wildcat Belts. And um, he, uh, I've known him for 27 years. I've known him before I was even the Blue Meanie, uh, where I was working for Norm Connors all these years ago. And uh, I remember he started making belts and then, you know, over 20 years later, he's making belts for WWE. He's making belts for Nathan's hot dogs, eating contest, hot dog contest, whatever that gimmick is. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, Hey man, you know, we've known each other all these years. Let's, uh, let's do something together. And, you know, I approached him and I had all these wild eyed ideas and he's like, let's keep it simple. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you're the professional. And, uh, he came up with this beautiful piece of, uh, art i consider it art uh to commemorate a part of my career which was bwo which i'm thankful all these years later people still ask me about so uh he he did it and uh, along the way he sent me like these uh progression shots and it was really cool to watch like how he did things along the way and he uh 
I just got it like two days ago in the mail. And then, uh, there's something cool about getting a package. You know, there's, you know, growing up, I used to love, you know, the thrill of the hunt, you know, I used to like to search out like a record or a DVD in the store. And you find that, that thing you've been looking for your whole life. And then when, once I pulled this belt out of the package and he gave me this sweet, sweet, uh, belt bag and I pulled the belt out of that. It's like, there's like a high you feel <laughs> when you look at something in person for the first time. Man. And, uh, Andrew did such an amazing job on this. And, uh, it's just something, you know, it's, it's part of my life, part of my career. I'm not going to, you know, uh, take it to the ring or anything like that. We're defended. It's just going to be something, you know, you know, I mean, I might take it to the conventions and stuff like that, but, uh, it's just something I, I always wanted. And, uh, I'm so, so over the moon about Dude, that is, that's so awesome, man. I can hear it in your voice. Just like how special that is getting that and yeah. having that now. And I think the Nathan's hot dog thing, is that the mustard belt? I think is what that's called. Uh, yeah, the the yellow there's the yellow strapped one, and he does the the pink strapped one. Oh, okay. And yeah, and he does all the WWE belts. He did Daniel Bryan's uh, eco friendly belt or whatever that's called. That's a cool belt. The uh, yeah, yeah, he made that belt. He makes he makes belts for everybody, and uh, I'm so proud of him because I've known him, you know, long almost as long as I've been in the wrestling business, and uh, just a good dude. If uh, you ever need a, a quality belt made. You know, go to uh, wildcatbelts.com and, you know, check out his work. Man. He does amazing stuff. But, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I feel like a kid at Christmas in July. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You know? Well, let's get let's get to my questions here. I had to bring the belt thing up just because I was like, this is a very cool thing, and I, I knew you were very passionate about it, so I'm glad we got to talk about it. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. But uh, how, how are you holding up, man? Like, you worked a hardcore style like everybody else. Like, how are you doing these days? I'm doing good, man. Physically, I'm doing good. Uh, mentally, I'm good. Uh, still a little crazy. You know, you got to be a little bit crazy to be in the wrestling business. But uh, I'm holding up. I'm very fortunate. You know, I did uh, ECW and then, um, you know, just, uh, you know, you, you see the shows that guys are doing cookie sheets and frying pans and steel chairs. And I was able to come out and do, uh, you know, the light, I was able to come out and lighten up the mood. I, you know, I consider, I, I call myself the, uh, the Philly fanatic of, uh, professional wrestling or the San Diego chicken, if you will, you know, since he was at WrestleMania, uh, and, uh, you know, come out and lighten up the mood and, uh, well, you know, you know, calm the tension in between, uh, you know, st- you know, you know, you have a one match over here with all the steel chairs and you, where you got the high flyers over here and the cruiserweight style over there. I would come out and do the, uh, you know, the parody. I was like the Weird Al of wrestling too. You know, I'm going to go see him in concert tonight. By the way, nice. Be jealous. I am. And uh, <laughs> but I know physically, mentally, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, uh, you know, you know. You hear all the uh, the stories of how guys, you know, or you know, yeah. I mean, I still, you know, have, you know, issues with knees, a little bit of back pain, stuff like that. But you know, that comes with the territory and. You know, you know what you're getting into when you, you know you sign up to do this. But uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Well, I ran into you last. I believe it was Double or Nothing weekend um, in Vegas. Uh, we we got to chat a little bit there. What do you think of Double or Nothing? What do you what do you think of AEW in general? What they're offering to the pro wrestling world right now? I'm I'm, I'm very happy. There's an alternative uh, with AEW. 
technically, I guess, you know, they're technically the first show was all in, you know, pre AEW. That was the litmus test to say, Hey, you know, can we do this thing? So they come around, do double or nothing in, uh, in Vegas. And that's always a good show. Uh, you know, they do the pre-show that whole weekend was fun, you know, with, uh, you know, Conrad, you know, with, with his convention and Starcast and all that stuff. It's just like a, like a wrestling Woodstock almost, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, um, the only thing, you know, the only real test I see them facing right now is when they go to uh weekly television. Uh, they've had these, you know, a couple events and they, you know, you get like five or six months in between, you know, to promote and people from all around the world get a chance to, um, you know, save up and, you know, take vacation time off and fly across the country or across the world to, you know, see these two events, you know, you know, within a six month span. But now the challenge I would think would be, and, you know, we get the same fans to come out, you know, every week. You know, in October when they have, you know, the television show and they're going live once a week, uh, will they be able to still do the 10,000-seat arenas or the 13,000-seat arenas, uh, you know, and uh, how will that translate to television, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I'm pretty sure there's they're, they're very smart people. You know, the Young Bucks and Cody and Tony Khan, they're all very smart people. Tony Khan's a brilliant businessman. I'm sure they've already weighed the and measured all these you know equations out so you know that, that that's the thing i'm looking forward to once you know things start going to weekly television how will that translate and uh i, I you know i wish them nothing but the best you know it's interesting as, as you're talking about this um can you talk to me a little bit about how ecw changed when you guys went from just doing pay-per-views to then having just to, to try to do a, a weekly offering because you guys ran on tv thing for like a, a year and a half right yeah um Wait, are we talking about television? Yeah, like how did how did going to TV and having to create a weekly product, how did that affect ECW, the locker room and the kind of the business and everything? Well, for ECW, it wasn't that hard because we would do a TV taping and we would film like three weeks at a time. You know, you would go, uh, you know, we go to the ECW arena and we could film e- three or four weeks easily and then fill it. You know, the rest of the show with like promos or at the end of the show, we do this thing called the Pulp Fiction segment where everybody who didn't get to have a match got to have like a either interview segment or do a skit to get their character over and just be seen, cool. you know, out of sight, out of mind. Right. So he did, Paulie did a great job of making sure everybody in the show had something to do. And, you know, so when you came through the curtain, everybody got a reaction because everybody had seen him on TV. So... Uh, back in ECW days, even when they did the, uh, well, I, I can't spe- really speak on the TNN thing because I was out of the company then. Uh, you know, I was in WWE when, when all that went down, right. I came in towards the tail end and I did the, um, I did the shows that were done at the, uh, Hammerstein ballroom. And then even those shows, they were, uh, you know, taped one night and aired over the course of, you know, two or three weeks. So, uh, we, we didn't have to really worry about going live once a week, every week for a month yeah. or a year or something like that. So we had the liberty of, you know, and it wasn't live. The only thing live was, you know, the pay-per-views and, uh, that's when you really get the, uh, the feel for, 
you know, having to edit on the fly. Because when we would do shows at the arena or, you know, elsewhere, you know, Paulie could always fix that in post-production. And uh, Paulie was, you know, a maestro with post-production, you know. You know, if you did, you, you knew if you messed up, you can go and pretty much do the same thing again somewhere else in the match, and he would work it to where you wouldn't see the flaw at all. So, uh, and that's the that's the challenge with live TV. You know, you got to think on the fly, edit on the fly, and you know, and you also got to be mindful of your time because it affects other matches. Uh, you know, there's plenty of times in WWE I was in the gorilla position in my outfit, ready to go to the ring. And they would say, okay, your cut, your segment's been cut because somebody else went long. Or, you know, or you, I've been in a ring, you know, when there's a segment where they're like, you know, you have to go longer because somebody's match went too short. You know, that's the thing about live TV. So uh, that's all the things, you know, the guys with AEW are probably going to have to face, you know, now that they're going. Well, they, they, they kind of have a feel with it with the live pay-per-view. And, you know, with that first pay-per-view, they almost missed the end of the, the uh, main event because the show went too long. I remember And they that. had to rush. To, yeah. They had to rush. Yeah. It was kind of like the ECW pay-per-view in the sense that, you know, <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at ringside uh, for, you know, when Steve was in the, three, in the, the uh, three-way dance and Todd Gordon is running up to me to go and tell him to take it home. You know, he's walking around and the, ring, the uh, timekeeper's looking at me, you know, like giving me the cue. I'm like, guys, take it home, take it home. And then, you know, Stevie gets out and then still, <laughs> you know, everybody's panicking because, you know, each of first pay-per-view and, and nobody, they almost, you know, didn't get the finishing on time. And then once, you know, the the finish happened, 10 seconds after they went off the air, the, tra- the transformer blew and all the electricity in the building went out. So it was almost like a double catastrophe. And then, they, you know, the thing with AEW, that, you know, similar thing almost happened. So uh, I know I'm getting a little long with it here, but, sure. you know, you're going to have uh, you're gonna have weekly TV. And a lot of the guys who are used to working, you know, on, you know, shows where they can easily tape it or, you know, uh, edit it and, you know, tape it and edit it in post. They're going to have to worry about, you know, sticking to times and, Working, uh, you know, working to the cameras. And a lot of people don't realize you got to work to the cameras and, you know, sell, you know, the facials to the cameras and become a star and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, you know, things we all teach over at the Monster Factory and stuff like that. But, you know, again, I'm saying that saying that. And again, I'm going to say Cody and the Bucks are smart guys. They've been around the business for a while. And I'm sure them and Tony Khan have worked all this out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to see what they do. Um, now, one of the things they're doing they've they've got a more, much more violent product uh, than WWE for sure, right? I don't know if you, if you want to say Shades of ECW or not, but you had Cody and Dustin in that bloodbath, you know, a double or nothing. Then you had Moxley with the you know quasi death match with Janela, and then of course the the, yeah. chair, the chair shot that Cody took from Sean Spears. I mean, what do you think of them bringing back that level of violence to a mainstream wrestling product? Uh, if they can do it in limited quantities, it's effective. Uh, it, you know, take away, you know, the Moxley Janela, the match, you know, both, you know, some of the most violent things that happened with Cody between him and his brother. And then the chair shot with Sean Spears and, you know, f- you know, people, you know, people are going off about the, you know, 
chair shot on Cody from Sean Spears, but you know, uh, Derby, Darby Allen, I mean, he took that sick bump, you know, from the top rope to the, the ring apron. And I'm thinking everybody's made about the chair shot, but that thing almost not, that guy could have, you know, snapped his spinal cord just as easy. Hmm. And, uh, nobody's really talking about that. You know, I'd rather, t- you know, this sounds callous and cold, but I'd rather take an unprotected chair shot than that back bump. You know, it's just, you know, you can't mess with your spinal cord like that, man. Uh, and I hope he's okay. I, and I hope he finds a way to, uh, it, you know, take that out of his, uh, repertoire. So I, I really don't want to see anybody get hurt, you know, permanently like that. So, yeah, you know, with a chair shot, you can at least put your hand up, you know? Well, Cody, but, didn't, uh, Cody didn't do that. <laughs> Cody full on let himself well, get blasted. Do you think, do you think the kind of chair shot Cody took, do you think that should be, do you think that should be happening in pro wrestling in 2019? Well, here's the thing, and I, I totally believe that chair was gimmicked, and you know it still doesn't, you know, excuse him not putting his hands up. But uh, the wrestling business is a weird thing, man. Uh, where you you could say you're going to do something in the back, and you go out and you're feeling it, and you go, you know, screw it, I'm not putting my hand up. And it could have been. I, I'm not saying I know that, or I know I, I, I have no knowledge of their inner workings of what they discussed beforehand but you know cody could have easily said hey yeah i'll put my hands up and then he went out there and went nope <laughs> you know that's, uh, that's that's how the wrestling business is you know just now i've been there where it's like you see the chairs you know shot come and you're like man that thing looks beautiful uh i should put my hands up or man this is going to hurt let me put or you say that man this thing's you know going to look beautiful let me leave my hands down and then there's time where you're like, man, this is going to hurt. Let me get my hands up. And you flinch and put your hands up. But, uh, yeah, and this is a guy, you know, myself, who's taken several chair shots from Balls Mahoney. So <laughs> it, it's it's a weird thing, man. Uh, and I know that, well, the chair shot was, the chair was gimmicked. It was, you know, pre-dented. It was made to be softened for the impact. But what they didn't, you know, expect was, you know, the, uh, the, the part of the chair where you rest your back on caught Cody in the back of the head. And that's where the gash came from. And he, it's hard to see full speed because it happened so fast, but you know, there's plenty of still pictures out there where you see the, the, the backrest of the chair getting Cody right on the opposite side of the head or, you know, in the back of the head. But do I think it should be happening in 2019? Probably not, you know, yeah, uh, probably not, but, uh, you know, Hey, wrestling, Every bump you take in a wrestling ring is equivalent to a, a minor fender bender, you know, 25 mile per hour. You know, say, you know, say you're sitting in traffic and somebody doesn't stop fully and they tap your bumper. That's the, the equivalent of taking a, a back bump. Now, guys are doing that, what, 20, 30 times, 40 times in a match. You know, I don't think you're, you know, your insides are supposed to take that kind of punishment. I don't think, you know, your heart supposed to be jolted like that i don't think your spine's supposed to be jolted like that you know i don't think your knees or your 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 neck all that you know is supposed to take all of that but you know yeah chair shots are bad but you know bumps are just as bad and i'm not excusing either (laughs) but you know it's you know you kind of know what you're getting into you know Um, i mean you can you can get a concussion just taking the back bump you know yeah it sucks 
you, uh, I, I think it was you also on your Twitter feed because I was watching your description of how to gimmick chairs. You had also mentioned taking the pins out of the legs, and I think that they did that as well. Cody put out a photo where I, I could see the kind of legs were connected. Is is that like in line with what you were talking about as well? That was uh, Lance Storm who said they would oh. uh, take the pins out of the legs for Balls Mahoney's uh, chair shots okay. and stuff like that. Like when he was working with Masata Tanaka because Masata Tanaka. He was having, you know, really bad neck problems, and uh, they would take the pins out of the chair. But with that, that the uh, the chair Cody took, you could tell they, you know, they worked it over, and you know, just what you do is you just hit it on something, something, something like a sharp corner, hit it on that, and then you push the dent back into place. And the best way I could describe it is like pushing on a, a, a snapple lid. Yeah. You know, where it goes, you know, like you know, that little dingy dingy. You know, where it goes back and forth. That's just kind of what you want to do, where it's 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 dented to where you know it's going to go, you know, three times or four times easier than if you were to hit them with a chair straight out of Office Max, you know, yeah, uh, wherever you buy your your steel chairs from, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. But uh, there's there's plenty of ways to do it, and I, I know for a fact that chair was gimmicked. So you know, it you know it is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's. It's, it sounds cold to go, and it is what it is, but it is what it is. Well, we'll know? shift gears here real, real quick here. Uh, I snag a, a cup. Can I get a couple more minutes with you here, Meanie? Just to, sure, 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 so sure. I know we, I'm a little long-winded. I apologize. That's fine. That's fine. I don't mind at all. I like talking to you. Uh, now, you, uh, your former boss, Paul Heyman, we were talking about him earlier. He's got a new gig, executive producer for WWE Raw. What do you think about uh, WWE making the call to do that with him? Uh, I could see nothing but positive things happening. Uh, if they, you know, let him, if WWE truly lets Paul Heyman have a voice, uh, Paul was always a creative guy. Well, Paul is, has always been a creative guy. It's just, you know, um, you know, now he'll have a little bit of a governor on him. You know, there's certain things, you know, he had a little bit of a governor in ECW too, but that's another story, uh, you know, where you can't totally go overboard and stuff like that. You know, you can't call, you know, like there's a story where Paul wanted to Jerry for this promo for Mikey Whipwreck. So they flew to Jerry from Japan to New York, you know, on this ridiculous ticket just to do a, a walkthrough on a promo. And then to Jerry flew back to Japan. You know, you can't do stuff like that. You know, you know, uh, I don't think, you know, divine, you know, I don't think, you know, Paul would, you know, make things more violent. Everybody thinks Paulie, they think ECW, they think violence. And in my opinion, if ECW had stayed around, ECW was more or less going to become something more like Ring of Honor was with the, you know, the pure, you know, technical, athletic, scientific wrestling. But uh, Paul was always good for just thinking of storylines and making them make sense. And he would do that just showing up to the building and writing the show out on a napkin and looking around the, the locker room and saying, hey, who do I got? What can I do with him? And now he's got a whole full roster of WWE superstars. And he's also got a sub-roster of – well, not sub-roster. I hate to say that because I think NXT is on the same level as WWE. You know, no, I don't think people get called up anymore. I think they get called over from NXT because I think NXT is, a, you know, I consider that a major promotion. But, uh, you know, he's got a whole other roster of NXT wrestlers he can pick and choose from to, you know, recruit over 
to, you know, raw. So, you know, Paul Heyman is, is the creative genius, you know, when it comes to in ring behind the camera. Uh, and, you know, I think Vince McMahon's definitely made it a wise choice and having a fresh set of eyes, you know, you know, I do a lot of things on the computer. I'll do some, you know, I do a lot of graphic arts and stuff like that. And sometimes I'll be looking at something. I go, man, I can't figure out how to, how to do this thing. And I step away and I come back a day later with fresh eyes and I figure it out. So I think Victor man is taking a step back and he's bringing Paul Heyman in as the fresh set of eyes to go, Hey man, how can we breathe life into this? How can we make this more vital? And how can we, you know, bring the numbers back up with the ratings and hopefully get people to buy more pay-per-views, subscribe to the network and, you know, have more people come out to the live events, you know, because, you know, it's a business now. Yeah, WWE needs a little bit of help and they've had the secret all along. They just had to, uh, you know, invite them, you know, to take over the, you know, the helm. What do you take uh, over the reins? What do you think on the other side? What do you think of Bischoff? How, how he'll fear in this environment? I think Bischoff will do good. Uh, I mean, I, I just watched this thing on the network, uh, untold. Yeah, and, and it's like these short stories about like, you know, the un- there's the untold story of ECW, the untold story of WCW, where, you know, you know, Bischoff was going to buy CW, WCW and take it over and what he was going to make and all this stuff. I think, you know, the only thing that hurt Eric Bischoff was Time Warner not wanting to be involved with pro wrestling anymore, you know, and they tried to, you know, you know, you know, kind of sabotage it. And I think Eric Bischoff has a great mind for the business. I think he's a great, you know, uh, marketer and stuff like that. So if he has the chance to do what he wants to do with the, again, another full roster full of WWE superstars, and he can also pick and choose from, you know, people over in NXT and, you know, maybe even leapfrog NXT and see what's over at Evolve because Evolve, you know, is kind of like NXT's NXT. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he, you know, the world is his oyster, you know, just like with Paul Heyman, they have the chance to do things in the company that, you know, with, with the owner that knows the business, that's the thing, you know, Vince McMahon knows the wrestling business over in WCW, Ted Turner, Ted Turner, didn't really know the wrestling business. The people at CNN Tower or CNN Center really didn't know the wrestling business. So Eric Bischoff has all this, you know, ways to be creative under the guise of somebody who's been in the wrestling business, who's, you know, third generation wrestling, you know, with Vince McMahon. So it sounds like you're pretty optimistic about, it sounds like you're optimistic about all these players coming together. It can be if they let them, if they don't pull back on them, you know, they don't chop off their legs and let them run with it a little bit. I think, I think they could do well. I mean, I don't think you're going to see it overnight. I don't think it's going to, you know, be like a, you know, shoved it in your face, you know, the changes. But I think over a course of maybe six months to a year, if you go watch a show of Raw and SmackDown in a year and compare it to where it is right now, I think you'll go, man, this thing really has changed. So, you know, you don't want to do it all at once because, you know, that's the saying, you know, if you jump off, you know, balcony from 20 feet, next team, you got to do it, you know, from 30 feet, 40 feet, where you go from there, you got to do things gradual. So I think Paul and Eric will have their say on the show, but it's going to be gradually implemented into each respective show. 
And when you watch from a year from today, you go, oh man, that is quite a difference. You know, everybody, we live in a microwave mentality where we want everything now, 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 now. People need to be patient and watch and see where it goes. And just, you know, put down the, the, put down your phone, put down your tablets and pens, stop being critics and just watch it from a fan's perspective and enjoy, you know? Yeah. You know, my favorite scene from is uh, almost famous when the young kid's about to write his first review for a concert and, uh, you know, Penny Lane reaches over and makes him put, put his pen and paper down. She just goes, watch the show. You know, stop that. Don't be, everybody wants to be critical. Everybody wants to, you know, be the first one to say they figured out, you know, how the trick was done. Sit back and enjoy the trick. And then you can have an intelligent discussion about it afterwards, you know? So that's my opinion. <laughs> well, uh, I will, I'll pivot here. I'll wrap it up. I want to talk about something I know you're, you're passionate about. You brought up the monster factory earlier. Uh, you, Danny cage, you guys do great work. You've put out some real talents. Uh, and one of the bigger ones is NXT's Matt Riddle. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk yeah. to me, talk to me a little bit about uh, what it was like to train Matt. And, you know, you talk about being patient. Are they being too patient with this guy? Do you think they should be doing more? No. Uh, well, the thing with Matt Riddle is he's uh, just, you know, I said when they did the documentary on WWE, I'm sorry, when they did the documentary on WWE Network about Matt Riddle and they interviewed me, I said, you know, I had I had done a Dory Funk dojo with Kurt Angle back in the day, and uh, you could just see how Kurt Angle was at that stage right then and there. And then you know Matt Riddle rolls into the Monster Factory, and you see, and he just reminds me of a young Kurt Angle, and he's it's like a he, he, he's a, he's a fan of the business, he's athletic, and when I say I'd like to say I was more of a coach. Uh, Matt Riddle already had the gifts, you know, with amateur wrestling, with the MMA. All we had to do at the Monster Factory was was reprogram his motherboard towards pro wrestling and how to take all his amateur skills and MMA skills and make them fit into the world of pro wrestling. So I was more, and when it comes to Matt, I was more of a mental coach as I am with mo- most people at the, uh, the Monster Factory. Um, I tried to prepare him for the behind the scenes. I tried to prepare him for life on the road. Uh, Danny does all the in-ring stuff and moves and all that stuff. And, you know, when I try to get a hold of somebody, I try to get them mentally prepared because this business is more mentally tough than physically tough. You can have all the gifts in the world, but once you're in that spotlight and you're on the road and you're Every day in the wrestling business is like the movie Groundhog's Day, where you're living the same day in and out. You know, wash, rinse, repeat. You know, you're only seeing that you're seeing the airport, you see the hotel, you see the rental car desk, you see the rain, and then you're back to the hotel. Then you're returning your rental car, and then you're going back to the airport. Are you ready to do that day in, day out? On top of, you know, putting your body through the, the ringer with what we do in the ring. So. When it came to, you know, training Matt Riddle, I got him prepared for all that kind of stuff as I do with everybody else. And uh, he, Matt Riddle is is just a natural. He's a stud. And I think he's going to be the biggest thing in WWE for a while to come. I think they should let him, you know, I mean, he's having a ball down at NXT. Let him perform there. Let him marinate 
a little bit in NXT and make it to the point where WWE, people in WWE are begging for him to come up or come over, I should say, to WWE. Because once he does come over to WWE, you know, then the rest of the world will get to know what we already knew about Matt Riddle. So That's awesome, man. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. I'll, I'll give you a chance here to plug, pro, promote, put over whatever you like social media-wise. But uh, I don't know if you also wanted to chat here uh, to, to shut us down about why you think people should be joining the Cauliflower Alley Club. You talked to me about this at StarCast, and I'd, I'd give you a chance here to make that pitch as well. Hey, man. Thank you very much. The Cauliflower Alley Club is one of wrestling's oldest uh, – Legit Charities. It's a 501c charity. I think that's the proper number. But what the Cauliflower Alley does, it, it helps pro wrestlers in need. Uh, it's been around for well over 50 years. Uh, I just became a member two years ago. I bought a lifetime membership. And shame on me for not doing it sooner. Uh, you know, guys like, you know, it's, you know, the Cauliflower Alley has helped people like Jerry Lynn. Most recently, they helped Kamala save his house. Uh, and every year we do a banquet in Las Vegas where we raise money. We, you know, have awards, raffles, all that stuff. And all the money goes into a pot and is sits there. And then, you know, say, God forbid something happens to me, you know, I, I need surgery. You know, I can reach out to the cauliflower. Hey, this is my medical expenses, stuff like that. And they can help out, you know, and they do great work. So if, uh, you, you know, you want to help wrestlers in need. And here's the misconception. People think the Cauliflower Alley, you need to be an old-time wrestler. You don't need to be an old-time wrestler. You need to be somebody who just loves wrestling. So, uh, you know, go to, you know, caulifloweralley.org. Or you, you can Google it, uh, Cauliflower Alley Club, and uh, join. They have yearly memberships. They have lifetime memberships. And the best thing about it all is it's a tax tax deduction because it's a, a legit charity so if you want to help wrestlers in need you know reach out to cauliflower alley and get yourself a membership cool and well, then uh yeah you what's your also, yeah well i'm sorry i said well what's your stuff where can they where can they go to support you directly it's social media stuff you can support you can support the meanie uh if you want to follow the meanie go to twitter.com slash blue meanie bwo uh same on instagram if you would wish to support the Blue Meanie, uh, you can support me at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Blue Meanie, where there's you know, the, the, the classic BWO shirt and many other shirts I've designed. And right now we have a, a micro brawl wrestler version of the Blue Meanie, a little three-inch statuette, which you can uh, buy right now, uh, you know, which looks awesome. Uh, if you want to support the Blue Meanie, just go to Blue Meanie. I mean, sorry, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Blue Meanie. And then uh, also coming out early next year, we're coming out with a video game called Retromania Wrestling. It's going to be an old school. uh, uh, It's going to be like an old school arcade game along the lines of uh, WrestleFest, you know, the old WWE uh, arcade game. Uh, You can look at at search for uh, on social media for RetroSoft Studios. And there's plenty of videos and uh, stills for the wrestlers involved with Retromania, including myself, uh, the BWO, Tommy Dreamer, Austin Idol, Cole Cabana just joined, and and a few other names uh, set to be announced very soon. So uh, I got a lot of things going on, (laughs) which is pretty cool. You know, between Cauliflower Alley, the Monster Factory, Pro Wrestling Tees, and Retromania. So. 
And if you follow me on Twitter, you can hear about it because I plug it every day. So. <laughs> My guest at this time was the runner-up on season eight of America's Got Talent. You may have seen him headlining stand-up comedy shows coast to coast. You may have also seen him at Star Coast, StarCast 2. It is comedian Taylor Williamson. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Dude, I was about to say that was such a perfect, amazing intro until you said Star Coast. <laughs> you know. But it was still so, it was really good still, though. I, I'm not, I didn't mean that in an aggressive way. I just wanted to let you know that I was about to compliment you. Sorry, buddy. It's the it's the end of the week. We're recording this on Friday. I'm like, I've got a big cup of water right here. I'm just trying to keep it all together. I think you're in a similar state right now. We're both a little delirious, I believe. Dude, I am. Del- I feel like I just took like. Tr- you ever watch like a movie and they took true serum and then they're all loopy and stuff? That's how I feel because I took a red eye and I was going to sleep on it, but I couldn't sleep. So then I arrived and uh, I'm in Washington D.C. right now, and I, uh, I I went to sleep for the first time at like 8 a.m. and now it's like 2 p.m. and I or I woke up. 10 minutes ago and i'll probably say something i regret so that's good for you and your listeners mm-hmm, absolutely well let's let's get into it here i brought you on to talk pro wrestling we'll talk a little comedy as well but what what made you a pro wrestling fan taylor uh probably uh parents using tv as a babysitter mm. and uh uh just i don't know i just found it on tv and i was like this is what why is this a guy with a snake Feeding his, feeding this lovely man to uh, his snake, you know. My friend, I my earliest, my earliest memory in life is uh, Macho Man getting eaten by Jake the Snake Roberts, a snake. Wow, isn't that beautiful? That's traumatizing. Is that why you're a comedian? Now? <laughs> yeah, maybe as part of it. There's a lot of factors, hmm. but uh, yeah, I've always been a wrestling fan, and uh, um. My favorite thing that's happened from being a comedian is the crossover of uh, comedians and a, rest, a lot of wrestlers want to be comedians and we all wanted to be wrestlers and that didn't work out. So we found our backup plan was comedy. You know what got me into wrestling too, actually, was those Andy Kaufman documentaries from back in the day. Do you remember those things? Oh, dude, I'm a huge Andy Kaufman fan. Of course. Uh, on, I was in the, I, I didn't even like comedy as a kid, but like... I just ended up watching these Andy Kaufman wrestling documentaries, and like that was the first comedian that I really uh, paid attention to in the whole Jerry Lawler thing. If people haven't seen it, I don't remember what it's called. There's two of them, but there's one that's so fascinating. I, I found it on archive.org recently. I'm a super nerd with this stuff, but it's like it interviews with it talks about Andy Kaufman and, and it just him in the wrestling business. But it's like Robin Williams, I think, and Tony Danza, I think, and maybe Dane DeVito, a lot of taxi people. Yeah. And they talk about Andy's journey into wrestling, but it's a documentary. It's like a work documentary. Is it? I think is I'm it, using the right word. Is it the it's I'm a fake? It's, they're, they're talking like, oh, my God, Andy, what are you? what is he doing? But they're all in on the joke. It's, it's a work, right? <laughs> is that a work? I think it's called I'm from Hollywood. Is that the documentary you're thinking of? There's two of them, but the, I I think that's the one that do you know, do you get what I'm trying? Can you validate what I'm saying? So I'm not just being crazy right now. No, it's like mm-hmm. no? <laughs> no, 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 no. I said I said do you? I thought you said do you sound crazy right now? I was like you don't sound crazy right now. So, but you know what I'm talking about like it's the documentary is done in a way that it's they're all it's kind of a gag. 
but it's truthful. But the the actors are they're not saying we know Andy was doing a bit. Well, you're kind of you're you're a very unassuming comedian. That's like part of the whole thing is you walk out and very demure, and then you blow all of our minds with your your witty punditry and, and comedy jokes. Did you is Andy like a reason for that kind of aesthetic? Do you do you take a lot of influence from Andy in your comedy? No, I'm just weird. I'm just kind of weird. <laughs> so is he. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, and you know, it's what's interesting. I talked to a comic who, like, knows him from back in the day and used to do shows with him. Am I allowed to curse on this thing? You can say whatever you want. He was just like, he was just like the non-curse version. He's just like, forget that guy, you know? Because to us, he's kind of like, he's like kind of romanticized and admired and because he was the first guy to do that kind of stuff that we know of, and he's an icon. And I respect the hell out of him. The hell, the fuck, <laughs> the fuck out of him. Sure. Uh, but, but he was like that guy used to go on stage and pull a gun out on the crowd, and then everyone in the crowd is under their tables, and then, and then he just like leaves the stage, and that was art. He was, and he was like, no, it's horrible. <laughs> And I kind of, I see his point of view, honestly, you know, like for that instance. Hmm. Do you, you know, know, do you know Bill Apter? Are you friendly with Bill? Yeah, I got to meet him. I don't know if he knows who I am, but that was a big deal. You he, he's so sweet. He's very sweet. Old, he's a very sweet old man. He was very good friends with Andy. He actually like, uh, introduced Andy to Jerry Lawler. And if you want to just sit and hear. Something, wow. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to ever just sit and like talk to a dude about Andy Kaufman, I highly recommend Bill Apter because like Bill was working for Vince McMahon senior and Andy was like coming to the shows and like befriended Bill and Vince senior was like, I don't want anything to do with you. And so I guess it was like one night in Bill Apter's like apartment with him and Andy where he's like, well, I can call my friend Jerry Lawler. Maybe you can do something down in Memphis and boom, that's, that's where, that's where it went. Man. Thanks for that tip. I got to do that. My favorite thing about these wrestler people is like, like in normal show, in like, not to be derogatory normal show business, but the one that I'm used to, like the LA TV and film stuff, whatever. Sure. They, you meet someone, like you meet Jennifer Aniston, you, the last thing you do is you go, hey, so, <laughs> like, you don't ask the questions you want to ask. Like, you can't be like, so what? What's David Schwimmer like? You know, sure. you don't do you don't do that. Yeah. But wrestling, it they love telling you stories. It's their favorite thing on earth. Yeah. Like, like, and it's so cool for like a wrestling nerd like me to like, like I could meet anyone. Like if Bill Abney, would be like, hey, what? Uh, tell me about this thing that you've talked about five hundred times. He's they're excited to share their stories. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. He's, some of them, some of them don't want. Some of them aren't nice people. <laughs> I would uh not to, lot of not to show Bill too hard here, but his book is very good too. So I would I would recommend that. It's very funny. He's a funny guy. No, he, I like him. Yeah, he, uh, he's great. He's the sweetest man too. He is. Well, and, you know, and for you, you know, you're out in the LA comedy scene and stuff. You're doing shows all over the place. Do you ever go out and do wrestling material for like normal audiences? No, crowds are. I mean. I think wrestling now is way less polarizing mainstream than it was a few years ago. Like, even like I can be on a date and talk about like, I'm doing this wrestling thing. And then girls like, Oh, cool. Like I would mention it 10 years ago and it would get a weird reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have a couple jokes on wrestling, but 
I try to avoid things that are like it's if I talk about being Jewish on stage, the crowd tightens up like what is he talking about? It's not like offensive they're not offended, they're just like I don't relate and they shut off. I feel like talking about wrestling kind of is the same thing for crowds that aren't wrestling fans. But now thanks to doing stuff with Starcast and I post about wrestling stuff a little bit more, I'm starting to get wrestling fans. So now I'm wondering if I should <laughs> Just like talk more about wrestling and just educate the world and entertain my wrestling fans, the people in the crowd with, oh, uh, with uh, like NXT and Bullet Club shirts on, you know. Yeah, for sure. I don't dude. know, Nick. What do I do, buddy? I I think you go for it. You know, I I don't get to do comedy as much as I used to anymore, but I got to open for Jerry and and Jim Ross at Gotham. Uh, I think it was over like over the WrestleMania weekend. They were doing their their set. Whole room of com- whole room of wrestling fans. They're like, go warm them up. And all I did was, I used to do managing here in the Chicago area. I just talked about wrestlers I had worked with, and it was so they were so there. Everything got a laugh. I say, go for it, man. I think people want to. Wrestling is one of those things where it's like you know you compared it to being Jewish, which I think is funny because I'm like, is pro wrestling a religion? Kind of, right? <laughs> 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 I compared it with the the people being uncomfortable when he talked about it, but yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. But uh, I'll, wrestling crowds are interesting. I mean, I've done a few wrestling comedy shows, I guess. Like I've opened for a couple of Bruce Pritchard and Conrad's mm-hmm. live shows, and I did the comedy the comedy shows Ron Funches at Starcast, and I did the wrestling roast. The L.A. Bruce Pritchard Conrad podcast, the crowd booed me when I walked on stage. It was that kind of wrestling crowd. Mm. And that's what I expected, though. So I knew I had to yell at them and just, like, turn heel on them. And then they would respect me, and they did. <laughs> but, like, it was – I, I kind of loved it, but I was like, this is not healthy. I don't know how I feel about this. Like, do so I want to – I don't know. It was really fun. The wrestling crowds are – really kind and they're into the joke and they like being a part of it which is kind of fun they're kind of rowdier but polite rowdy sure for con- for like wrestling comedy crowd yeah um and like at the, the ron funches show like i thought at starcast i i was told just to do stand-up so i i was gonna do my act but then um like dan st germain went up and just did all his roast jokes for the rick flair roast that ended up not happening last minute yeah so, and then he did his wrestling jokes, and I was like, I can't just go up there and talk about Labradoodles now. <laughs> so I went up there, and I, I did my roast jokes, and then I did like some wrestling stand-up bits that I've just thought of that I haven't really worked out. And the crowd was very receptive and fun, and if things didn't work, they were cool. Like, they go, what I like about the wrestling crowd is, like, like if, you have a, if you have a bad stand-up crowd, and like a general crowd, and they're not into a joke, they'll just, like, stare at you. Mm. But the wrestling crowd will go, ah, ooh. They, they like being a part of it, and comedy is a dialogue, not a monologue. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's, when the crowd's into it, it's cool. So it's a different dynamic, but my long story short is performing for a pure wrestling crowd is really special and fun. Yeah, it was. That was a really fun set. I was there. I was sitting about three rows back. I thought everybody, you know, saw Hornswoggle do comedy. Cabana did some comedy. It was a good, it was a good mix of people. Um, how did oh, you... yeah, thanks, man. Oh, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, there's two wrestlers, and then Dan St. Germain and me, and I'm like, I can't just be, like, so uh, traveling, you know? Yeah, well, you also had, like... You did great. You, uh, you also, like, uh, they, he had Conrad's best friend was a part of that set, and he just did, like, 20 minutes about getting high for the first time, which was really... <laughs> 
just not really wrestling. Casio, yeah. Yeah, classic. Hey, how did you meet up with Conrad? How did you become a star part of StarCast? Um, that's a good question. Um, I my friend referred me to him for the roast of Bruce Pritchard. It's not a glamorous story. Okay. And, and then okay. and then he was like, "Yeah, I guess, you know." And now we're in love. It's really special. Wow. And um, we're getting married soon. Cool. He has a wife. What? She she's a flare. You would have to you'd have to throw down against the flare family if you're gonna put a ring on Conrad. Oh no, this is horrible news. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's, it's I'm so inspired by what he's done. Like, uh, and, and uh, it's it's so cool. I mean. That dude, like, he works his ass off and all that. And, uh, but, like, besides Starcast and created all this stuff, like, he's created stars out of, like, Bruce Pritchard and, and, uh, and Tony Schiavone and Eric. I mean, they're already stars in their own right, but he's made them get old. For the fact, the, the most special thing I've ever, uh, I don't know, most special thing I've ever seen, a very special thing that I saw was at that Raw anniversary show when they had all these, like, legendary, uh, wrestlers and they brought back and they and they got no reaction and then Brother Love showed up and then he got the biggest pop at Madison Square Garden or wherever that show was mm-hmm. and like uh, it makes me so happy it's so cool and like I'm a huge wrestling fan like I said and getting to become friends with all these guys it's so cool and I get like weird texts from Tony Schiavone when I wake up sometimes and I'm like this is so weird and it makes me so happy who's the guy that like you became buddies with that Really excited to you. Oh, Sean Waltman and I have become very good friends over the years. And I was actually, uh, and this was one of the things I talked about at the Gotham, was I was there, I was managing the wrestler against Sean in the match where he, for the first time, split his taint. Um, He went for the Bronco Buster, and the lower ring uh, buckle had not been wrapped, and just split him right in two, right between the legs, you know. And, uh, yeah, so I had to, so he rolled to the outside and I said, Sean, are you okay? And he goes, I'm bleeding out of my asshole. And I said, what can I do? And he said, please kick me to kill time. So I started kicking him. And then in the back, he asked me if I would hold a towel between his butt cheeks to, to clot the blood. And I told him that's where I drew my line as a friend. That's a beautiful story. Thanks, man. Sean, Sean, he, uh, one, well, one thing to add to that is I fainted on the freeway hearing him talk about that on some podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's a true story. Literally, like, pulled. I was like, I'm seeing purple spots. I pulled over to the side of the road and I fainted hearing about that. I don't know if that's attractive to anybody. Yeah. Um, no, it may have been me on like that. Re- po- I've been on his podcast with him and told this story. So might actually have been when I was on the show with him because he he really likes to tell that story whenever we're together. Yeah, I, that's wow. That's that's serendipitous. The God is real. We're proving it right now. If that's what if that if you were talking with him. And wow. And then here we are now. I'm yeah. still alive. But you're all still alive. Uh, Sean was one of my first wrestling buddies. Like yeah. that—that's the coolest thing. Like uh, these guys who treat us like equals, even though we're not, and they're so much cooler than us. You know? Yes. And uh, yeah, it's um, I like through Twitter is where I meet met a lot of these people. Sean's one of them. Yep. 
Josh, comedian Josh Sneed. Shout out to Josh Sneed. He introduced me to. I was like talking, like he just did the whole, "Hey, Taylor, this is Xbox. You guys should be buddies." Yeah. Well, I've got to meet Shivani a couple times. Uh, I'm friendly with Shivani. The interview I did with him though was like way darker than the interview we're having right now. Does he ever like send you like dark messages about like? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about um, or no? I probably know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, he's the goofiest. Like he's the funniest, crazy man. Like he really. I. I don't want him to hear this because the worst thing he could do do is tell someone that they're funny and then they love it and they start doing trying to be funny all the time but he's really fun he's legit funny like he's not just crazy funny he's also crazy funny but he's also actually legit a hilarious dude and it's very surprising because i see i still see him as the wcw guy where he's just like concerned for the what's happening in the ring and and bobby heenan was the goof but he was super straight man in real life he's just such a goofball you know mm-hmm. yeah well that's good I, I i don't know if you know deadpan great gimmick it's a great gimmick <laughs> yeah yeah i have a little bit of that um what do you like about pro wrestling right now taylor i'm excited by all of it like uh i mean this is not really the art of it but this sounds cheesy and like just like a nice pc thing to say but I love all the opportunities that are out there right now. I think it's so cool that there's so many more jobs in the last six months than there were seven months ago, six months and a day ago. Yeah. Like how amazing, like real full-time jobs and more people get to live their dreams and more artists get to perform and make people happy. And uh, I just, I just think it's the coolest thing. Like, yeah, that's my that's my answer, really. Okay, well, who, uh, I guess I was kind of getting at, like, you know, what wrestlers do you like right now? Who's who's grabbing you at the moment? Hmm. I I've always loved Cesaro. Uh, I'm like I I just I can't wait till he gets to. I mean, he's already had the most amazing career, but I, I just I hope that something happens. Maybe this Paul Heyman thing that like helps push him to the next level. Um. I'm a huge Rocky Romero fan. I love I love seeing people take roads that are like uh, some people might think are crazy or not responsible or not. That's not the word, but <laughs> just like like because I don't know. There's like on those websites like yours, they say uh, Rocky Romero went out to Orlando to do uh, training sessions, and like that could lead to a job, you know? Sure. And it it seems like. He decided to stay in Japan and just keep wrestling because he's a wrestler and he's still young and he's having the best matches of his career. I love that. Like, so that makes me so happy. Like if you watch like it's a real Osprey match or any of his other recent matches from, uh, that tournament called they just super juniors tournament. Yeah. Best and, uh, so that guy makes me happy. Um, uh, razor Ramon, you know that guy? Yeah, I'm familiar with Scott Hall. Yeah, old school. Not like he's not wrestling right now. His son is, but you're, oh, big, yeah. you're a big Razor I out about Razor Ramon. Okay. Yeah, he's he's great. That's interesting to hear you. So you keep up with New Japan. So you're not just like a WWE guy. How much wrestling are you taking in? I can't, but that's the thing, too, is like there's too much, which is great. But like I a lot of it, I I just go back and watch what happened. 
like I can't I don't know how it's possible like like I don't like like I don't like if you watch every one of these shows you're a bad person like you're a horrible father or mother (laughs) or you just don't have any friends like like literally if you watch every one of these shows I don't know but uh I watch I try to watch the pay-per-views if I can and um if I hear there's a really some really cool New Japan matches, I go back and watch that. I watched the last two AEW shows, or last or I went to the two pay-per-views, and then I watched the last uh, the last one. They were amazing. Hmm. I'm probably um, I'm probably gonna make a headline on the site, Taylor Williamson on why you're a terrible person if you watch too much wrestling. You're you are a bad person if you watch every if you watch every New Japan show every AEW show every NXT every Raw and SmackDown and Two Hundred Five Live like you're the you're the worst. <laughs> like uh, Dave Meltzer, I mean, I guess he I guess he gets paid to do that. Sure. Do you think he really watches? Like, I don't get that stuff. Can someone ex- can you explain this to me? Can someone I'm talking to on the phone explain this to me? Yeah. He watches every match that's ever happened. That's his job. Pretty much. Like, does he really watch every match, the full thing? I I, I mean, I've I've seen him because like I sit behind him or near him in like the press boxes now, and he's like invested. He's the guy that's always got his laptop out. He's like timing the matches. I I think he, I think he's on the hook. I really do. I think he watches it all. It's a lot of wrestling. <laughs> it is. It's disgusting. It's gluttonous. That seems like kind of like a Twilight Zone episode. Like you love wrestling, all right? Well, you're you're gonna watch every wrestling match of all time and get paid for it and raise your family mm-hmm. doing so. And he's like, great, you signed a contract with Satan, and then he just has to watch every wrestling match ever. Yeah, and then he drops his glasses and they break, and he has to watch it all blurry. Whoa! Spoiler alert. You know that's happened to him, by the way, where, like, he, like, gets a phone call and it's, like, and, like, the show's going on and then he just writes, ah, three stars. <laughs> There's no way he watches all that. Oh, I'm what? not even, like, hating I feel like I'm, I'm scared that, like, Taylor hates Dave Meltzer. I don't know. It's next he- That's my other headline. Well. That's my other headline. You're just giving me great headlines <laughs> here. I'm, uh, fa- I'm fascinated by that. Uh <laughs> that part of it um, but uh i feel like i'm the, the rambly tired not interesting thing again i'm sorry it's all right buddy hey you know you brought up Heyman before with helping with cesaro's push what did you think about wwe going back to the well bringing him and bischoff back in creative roles i think it's cool i i mean i think it's amazing i i want it to be the greatest thing ever i mean I don't get, like, on these... It's funny, like, the Twitter people and then the message board people and Reddit and stuff, like, it's, oh, like, people are like, oh, everyone's saying this, everyone's saying that. Okay, it's a hundred people said that, you know? It really is a small amount of people in the world. And there's people like me who re- who just, like, lurk on these things and don't really write anything. Like, so, I don't know. It seems like a lot of people, like, want it to fail or they expect it to fail. I think it's cool. I think it's... I think it's... Super cool. Why not? You, what do you think? Do you think they're just doing it because it sounds cool and it's gonna be the exact same thing? I mean, I think Hay- I mean Heyman's obviously got a bit of a, a leg up here because he's been working creatively in WWE for you know at least the year last year and a half. I know he's had his fingerprints on stuff. I'm in, I'm more interested to see how Eric takes to it. I don't know how Eric will do in that environment. Um, you know, and then like Booker T 
came out the other day on his radio show and was like, Bischoff slipped on a banana peel to take over WCW. I don't even know how he's going to do in this. So I know that there's people like, you know, Booker saying that publicly. You know, there's people that worked with Eric and TNA that now work at WWE and are like, the last time this guy was creatively in charge of anything, everybody became bikers. So, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I'm, I'm with, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable with, with Heyman. I think, you know, we've already seen a couple things, you know, bleed through in the past two weeks that people liked that Paul is getting credit for. Uh, it's Eric that I'm wondering. I'm wondering how Eric takes to this. Yeah. I mean, it's so, how fascinating is the wrestling business and WWE in particular when, like, the people he hires to, make a dramatic not say this company that's too dramatic but the people he hires to give uh just just to to take his wrestling company to the next level and boost them like crazy is the people who try to put him out of business and who he put out of business <laughs> 20 years ago yeah that just that just seems like a like a soap opera yeah it is so but Vince keeps hiring all these people who he's hated forever. Like, that's very curious to me. I mean, he doesn't care. Like, he's got all the money now. I don't care. I mean, he don't care. I think it's cool. Like, Jeff Jarrett, like, I love, like, that's very admirable. I don't know if he's been going to therapy or something. Like, like I mean, Howard Stern does that. He's friends with Rosie O'Donnell now, and uh, he can be connects with people who were, like, his enemies, you know? Yeah. And so maybe. Yeah. Vince is going to the same. Maybe Vince is doing transcendental meditation also. I bet that's it. He seems like a TM guy. <laughs> he definitely does. But like Jeff Jarrett, he, they, he hated him. Huh? You know? Huh? He's a success I think it's so cool. I, I, we should all be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a comedian, what do you think of the 24-7 <laughs> You're title? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a comedian, okay. Taylor. Sorry, I've taken you a little longer than I thought I was here. Is that all right? Can I get like three more questions with you? No, I love it. Okay. What do you think of the 24-7 title? I think it's great. I mean, it's, again, people were hating on it when it first came out, and I, it sounds like I'm just giving PC answers, but, like, I love seeing guys get opportunities. Like, R-Truth isn't on TV a lot, and Drake Maverick hasn't been getting to wrestle, and or be seen outside of the series. Oh, he did some goofy stuff, but like as a manager, but like these guys on YouTube are getting more views than uh, anything else. I, I mean, wrestling with sports entertainment, that's uh, proving sports entertainment. They're making sketches that are, aren't too long and they're interesting and they're goofy and weird. I like it. Like it's different and new and it's, it's a joke, but it's, it's a joke, but it's funny. So is it bad if it's a joke in wrestling? If it's actually entertaining? Yeah. Well, I'm just that's why I was asking you. I mean, you know, you're the you're a professional comedian here. If you find it funny, then I think it's good stuff. It's really hard to. Co- I mean, like the amount of content these people are having to make regularly. It's it's really hard to continue to come up with these original ideas in those sixty to ninety second bursts. I, I'm also impressed with the pace they've been keeping. And. Well, the DDT title, that's the one from Japan that's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. And, like, it's the, but they're doing it differently. Like, I mean, the DDT title, you could argue, was just the same thing. Like, they copy that, but then they copy the hardcore title, which was WWF originally, you know? So everything's copy of something. But 
they're making it different. They're not, they're making it like long. The best storyline in wrestling right now might be uh, based on my not watching every show. It might be the Drake versus Archer thing. Yeah, it's getting a lot of attention. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I really like it. And yeah, I think they're, they're writing good sketches and I don't know. It's cool. I wish they could do, I wish they did that with, I wonder if it's because they care, the people at top care the least about it. So they have more freedom to be creative, maybe. Okay. It's less micromanaged, perhaps. I think that's, and then, I think that's true. So it gets, they get to do ridiculous, goofy stuff, and that turned out to be great. I wish that the other stuff would get that kind of attention, too. Because why not? Sh- why are we not? No one's sending me. People, the only links people are sending me are those ones. No one else is. No one's sending me, like, Rey Mysterio and Samoa Joe, which, like, send me that. Like, I want that to be a thing that people want to share, you know? I, I hope that they could take that kind of idea for the rest of it. No one's going to do that. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, you uh, you were on America's Got Talent. I had kind of a I owned a segue a little bit and try to frame this in a pro wrestling way because like pro wrestling is scripted, right? It's all work. Uh, how much of your time on America's Got Talent was scripted? Was it like pro wrestling? Um, I came out to the Hulk Hogan's theme song. That's like pro wrestling, right? Yeah, it is. True. And I came out to the Hanson theme song, which was the Young Bucks theme song. Hmm. before they sold out and worked for a billion dollar company mm-hmm. but um that was said in jest by the way <laughs> i'm not really calling them sellouts okay that's clear cool um i'm very funny um <laughs> uh what's in jest? i don't know i mean it, the show is very much like wrestling actually because it's like it's a storyline and then you perform and then they ask you about your storyline but so like, what are, and people are like decided they like you. Is it based on your talent or based on your your dramatic story? I kept trying to have a story on the show. I was like, I got bullied. Let's talk about it. Because I was trying to. A lot of people go on this show and uh, they're just like plucked out of obscurity and they're like, they're I'm a I'm a I I play piano in my mom's basement and this is my first time performing on stage in front of people and uh, and I've been dying for three years and here I am, you know, and. Uh, but then there's people like me who are like I've been I had been doing comedy for ten years at the time, and I was I need my I had zero dollars in my bank, and I needed this. This wasn't a fun. This wasn't a fun adventure for me. This was like I need a career, so I can not live with my mom. You know. Sure. And uh, uh, so I kept saying, let me talk about how I got bullied as a kid, and they let me talk about it in the audition round. But then every other round, they would not let me control my storyline. I guess that's kind of like a WWE wrestler talking, you know? Yeah. And uh, and uh, but then I ended up getting a storyline because Heidi Klum. If anyone's bored on t- my web, my name's on TaylorWilliamson.com. I have all my episodes of America's Got Talent, and you can watch the whole journey if you you have an hour to kill, and. Uh, Heidi Klum didn't think I was funny. She found me to be not appropriate for children. And then I did my next act. I wrote a whole act, like very tongue in cheek with children, kids, jokes for kids that were really kind of like boob jokes, like PG boob jokes. And uh, so I kind of made fun of her and she played along with it. And then my I got a storyline by circumstance of me trying to impress and court Heidi Klum and 
now five years later people come up to me and say hey where's Heidi and stuff like that so I have a career thanks to her playing along with my nonsense so um that's what happened to me. Did I answer your question at all? It totally did. You you answered it. I mean, I was I was trying to just see if there was any correlation by how America's Got Talent is quasi scripted like pro wrestling. It sounds like it kind of is. Like they had some control over your storyline here and some autonomy over whether or not, like I guess, you succeed or not, right? Because they could have strapped you with, they could have left you with no storyline, right? But they gave you something. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. It's it's not rigged by any means because it, it's it's categorized as a game show, so legally they can't they cannot um, rig it because they'll go to jail. Mm-hmm. Howard Stern got accused of like got and then yeah, that stuff, and then like he's on his show, like he's like, "Am I gonna go? To, you think I'm gonna go to jail for a white collar crime? I don't need this fucking show, <laughs> you know? I think it's because it's fun. I watch it on TV. I might as well be there, getting paid a bunch of money to do it, like, but." But for sure, the producers, they get to pick who they want on the show at the beginning and how they want them to be presented and edited. And thankfully, they liked me. And yeah, it's it is a, it's kind of a thing where at the beginning, they put you out there the way that they're going to put you out there. Then it's up to you to, to carry on however they presented you. That's That's what wrestlers do. Like you just described what wrestlers do. That's funny. It does remind me of WWE, like from my limited experience around that world, where it is a giant machine. And like, I just went back on for AGT, the champions. And it was just like, they're all stars from around the world. Like whatever their favorite acts from around the world that they picked to come on it. And it was like very different atmosphere. Simon Cowell's more on, he's, he's the man there. And, He's very, very uh, Vince McMahon-y in many ways, you know? What do you mean and by that? What do you mean by that? They're, they're, I mean, they're the billionaires in charge of their company, and that's the way it is because this is how I see it, and it's their show, and, and their defense is their show, you know? it's it's Simon doesn't understand this kind of thing. I'm scared to talk too much on a wrestling podcast, but uh, I'm very grateful to Simon Cowell if he's listening to this, yes. and then Vince McMahon too for entertaining me for years. But you know what I mean? It's like it's this. It's it's this. This. If you want to be on this show, this is how you have to act, even though you're an artist. You know. Hmm. Interesting. Did he ever? So make, like, did he? Did he make you puke in a bucket? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> he did. Okay. Um. Is it a Drozdos illusion? Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was a great moment. Yeah, but then also he's a G. Ge- they're geniuses too. They really are. Like, uh, I heard who did I see do this interview? Um, oh, geez, Kanye West was on David Letterman's Netflix show. I was watching that on the plane. Did you see this? Uh, no, I have not. It's an interesting interview, and it made me think of like the stories you hear about Vince and uh, any of these people like this. Like he was talking about how being crazy. If you want to see beautiful shit and art and creativity and whatever that you've never seen before, that's out there. He's like, you might have to hear it from a crazy person. You might have to let them be crazy for them to create this stuff. And it was, uh, he said it in a more articulate way that made me, 
understand it. But then also, like, I don't know, do you really have to be that crazy to, to get away with it? And uh, so, uh, I don't know. I, I I go back and forth between judging people for, I don't know. I, I mean, be nice to people, too, obviously. I don't know. I'm rambling again. I have I'm I'm still sleeping. Has it, have I made any sense in the last few minutes? I mean, dude, I think this has all been gold. We've talked about several things now. We'll wrap it up here. I'll say, you know, you you gave me the the conversation I wanted, which was about the America's Got Talent and how it's like pro wrestling. I thought that was very nice, very well that done. That was great until I, at the end it got it made no sense, but it, it sounded like it was going somewhere. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. I think it, it sounded did. like I was about to say something negative about somebody, and then and then I was like, why would I do that? And I and I just rambled away and pretended it didn't happen. I mean, you're you're exactly like every wrestler I I've ever interviewed. I get a lot of that. <laughs> no wrestlers talk shit all day. That's like my favorite thing about wrestlers. It's so crazy, like over text message especially. Uh, but in real life, they'll just like, like they don't find out if you're friends with someone or what do you think? They just like, they're just like shoot interviews all day. It's amazing. You just have to sit there and listen to them talk. I sat next to a wrestler on the plane one time. He's like, it was one of those flights where I was going to uh, sit up all night and I was going to sleep from the East coast to West coast. And then he just told me all, every story I've ever wanted to hear or hear, hear about anything for five hours. And I was just like, I was overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You know, I had an incident like that recently. I was coming back from it was Daytona Beach. It was last weekend, and I'm at the I was at the Red Robin Bar at the Orlando Airport, and uh, I had like three hours to kill. And who happened to walk in? The franchise Shane Douglas. He just walks in, wow. right? And I was like, and I had, I had worked briefly with Shane. We were both part of Billy Corgan's Resistance Pro Wrestling here in Chicago, which did not succeed. Oh, so cool. And so I was like, I was like, Shane, we, you know, he, he kind of remembered me. And he's like, well, I got three hours to kill, too. Sat me down at the bar, bought all the drinks, and just we just talked about wrestling. You, you bought the drinks? He did. He bought me the drinks. Oh, really? Because I was going to say that's the other thing about wrestlers. They love it when you pay for dinner. Or pay for drinks. They love letting you pay for everything. No. Well, he had just come back. He was doing some – it wasn't part of AEW. It was like some other wrestling convention. It was just happenstance. We were in the same place. But he had, like, I think cash on hand from, you know, doing autographs and signings all weekend. But, yeah, he paid for all the drinks. It was, like, super nice to me. And I was like, what is going on right now? wonderful to hear. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, dude. Shout out to Shane Douglas. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so with that, we'll wrap it up here, uh, Taylor. I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been around the wrestlers now. You've befriended wrestlers. You have a bit of the, the carny spirit here. Do you want to do, <laughs> do you want to do anything in pro wrestling? Do you have any pro wrestling related goals? Maybe, maybe I might, I might be talking to some people about doing some stuff. I mean, I, I love the business so much and like, uh, but also so much that I don't, I wouldn't want to do anything that not to, I don't deserve to do, but that like I, I fantasize. That sounds weird. I like, I thought about like, well, what would I do if like WWF was like, we're going to make you world champion, like David Arquette style, you know? Like, I like to say that, I'd be like, no, 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 no. I can't say that. I can't do that. But, well, Marks, you would do it, wouldn't you? Oh, dude, I, whatever, man. It's all a crock of shit. Everybody's out to get in on, <laughs> on their own, right? Like, anybody who tells you to wait in line or wait your turn or you don't deserve this, they are waiting to cut your throat. So you take what you can get, my friend. I like that. 
so yeah, I mean, it, with that said, I am exploring some stuff that like, I, I love how Joe Rogan's able to do like UFC at, and it's not a side job. It's also something that he respects and treats seriously. And, but he also does comedy. I, I couldn't do something where I'm not doing comedy at the same time, but if I could figure out a way to do both in a respectable manner, which WWE is allowing for some people, which is really special and smart for them too, I think, because it allows them to get attention outside of wrestling world and then then they need them use them when they need them. So long story short, I am exploring some stuff and uh I'm really excited I'm really excited about the experiences in comedy and things le- things not working out leading the way I wanted them to leading me to getting to be a small part of this world that I'm really uh uh, I love you know, dude. It's and, so. uh, and look here in Chicago. I was with I did used to do improv here with Cabana about a decade ago. Right after, oh yeah, right after he left WWE, and like to see because Cabana was really the one that helped to blend the com- the comedy and the pro wrestling communities. I feel like there were fans on both sides, but they weren't really interacting. And like it, it warms my heart now to hear you talk about how you get to be around the wrestlers now, and then I hear from the wrestlers they get to be around you and. And other comics, it's just a really good time. And if you've got some credibility as a comedian, I say get in there and get going. Because, like, the wrestlers are, are looking to embrace you, and they want to pick your brain, and they want to play with you, you know? It really means a lot that, I mean, well, first of all, I was like, Cole Cabana is my first wrestling friend. Uh, I love that dude. And uh, he's so, like, he's like, I don't like, some people think he's a comedy wrestler. He is, but he's also a as you know, he's a great wrestler also yeah. who does comedy, you know? I mean, he's a great wrestler who does comedy in the ring as well, you know? I yep. think that's the appropriate way to describe him. And uh, uh, and then uh, but I met him on, like, MySpace, like, like, <laughs> like 12 years ago, he creeped on me on MySpace because <laughs> I was, like, comedian of the week or something. Oh, and uh, so it's been really special seeing how he is, changed the podcast game and the comedy game like i look at him when i think of like merch and stuff like like i anyways i cop i look about patter i looked to pattern myself after some of the stuff he's done and uh but what means the world to me is that these guys they're not some of the old school guys not many there's a couple who are not into comedians coming into the world do you want to literally names? you want to name names or no 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 Okay. No thanks. Off the air, sure. Okay. But uh, I, it's I get it. I don't know. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, like I got to the roast with these wrestlers. I don't know. You hanging up on me? Do you want to hear this? Or Go do for I, it. Whatever, dude. I'm I'm not in any rush here. Uh. So like, the one of the coolest. This is just as a huge wrestling fan nerd thing. Is like at Starcast, like when we did the roast of Bruce Pritchard. Uh, I got there early. I was just walking in the halls, and then I don't remember who I saw first. I think I saw I met Bruce, maybe, and then um, we were like helping write some jokes because he didn't have anything written. And then like X Pac came in there, and he he didn't have anything written. And then ends up I'm hanging out with X Pac and Bruce and uh, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson and. And then Jeff Jarrett comes in and, and Karen comes in and like, I'm just helping all these people write jokes and stuff. And like, because no one had anything prepared yet because <laughs> it was just wrestling, you know? And 
it was such a joy getting to hang with these dudes. Like guys like Gerald Briscoe, they were not like, who are you? They were like, they almost respected us too much, honestly. They didn't know who we were, but they're just like, oh, you're comedians. We respect you. Like you're, they treated us like we're equals, which is so nice, but not, that was too much, honestly. (laughs) Cause some of us were, well, I mean, none of us are, but um, there was uh, one person who, in particular who stands out to me and like even like that stark ass do some of these panels with some of these guys they they're just like kind of disgusted by oh you're this guy Ugh, you're a comedian guy i don't know my point is but there's like, one of these old school guys he you could tell that he doesn't like wrestling comedians coming to his world and like making fun of him you know yeah no and i, I get, get that. it I, I get that i get it like who the fuck am i to come into their world and like make fun of you for trying to like for like dating teenage girls, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, oh man, I kind of want to tell you a story right now, and I feel like I'm gonna yeah. burn. I feel like I'm gonna burn a curtain to the ground if I tell you this. Um, but whatever, it's like what your story was. So at the original Starcast, um, they did an Andy Kaufman panel, right? And again, we've established both of us big Andy Kaufman fans. Now, uh, Jerry Lawler really likes when I portray tony clifton like i do a pretty good clifton right and he convinced me and i will i guess to to completely not bring it around i serve as I, i'm his agent when whenever he's on stage it's just because he got away from me with all that said so anyway uh i they convinced me to get the the costume and all the gimmick and the padding and all that and i get there and we're putting together what we're gonna do and it's like jeff jarrett's there and Lawler, and Bill Apter, and, like, Dutch Mantel, and I'm, like, fucking dressed, you know, in all of this garb right now, and to, like, have them, like, like you were saying, like, as an equal, they were like, well, how are we going to put this together? And I'm like, I don't know. You're the greatest minds of a generation in pro wrestling. You tell me. <laughs> you know? It's bizarre, man. And uh, it is cool to hear you have those experiences with the pro wrestlers. Because I hope, I hope more comedians get the chance to do that. You know, this is, this is our time, baby. I think it's great. It's, it's really, really cool. And, like, I was, like, I, I mean, I, I could talk about stuff for a million hours. Like, I, just, I saw Stephanie McMahon at this thing, at this uh, festival is out in France. And, uh... And she came up to me and said, hey, Taylor, how are you? And I don't know how that happened. But, like, like there's, like, this respect. The Blue Meanie calls it the Mutual Admiration Club. And, like, it's just, like, it's, it's beautiful. And uh, I, I think they get – I think they, if they like that we respect them. Like, we're – I don't know. Uh, I think, honestly, I think the bar is that much lower for their for show business people who love them so like like they don't have george clooney coming backstage you know so like if i come backstage i think they're like oh wow he was on tv a few years ago <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't know but, but these guys come to the comedy store dude i mean the vice john moxley was just at the comedy store everyone's i mean all these text messages just because he walked in the building yeah like I don't know what my point is. We all, I don't know. I, we're the, we're all we all watch these guys growing up. I don't know. I'm just rambling. No, no. I love wrestling and uh, the fan. My honesty, you know, it's really special too. I guess to wrap things up without people listening hating me and, and you uh, because of me is uh, meeting these wrestling fans. Like, I think I love uh, like 
I love me- meeting my fans after the shows and stuff, but, like, I start guys walking around and, like, some people wearing, like, Bullet Club shirts and WrestleMania shirts, this whole family, they, they had, like, my picture, they they asked, like, I wasn't doing meet and greet, I feel like, who the fuck am I to try to do, like, a paid meet and greet at a wrestling convention, you know? Yeah. I just walk, but these people kept me and they had their pictures ready for me to sign, that meant so much to me, and, like, these wrestling fan people, like, they're, uh, it's a beautiful community, like, it's very, like, diverse and friendly to everything, and, uh, I don't know, it was really cool, like, like, there was, like, people were helping each other find things, and there was no fighting and stuff, like, whatever cliches that people think about wrestling, who don't watch wrestling, uh, it's not a bunch of douchebags, you know, it's, like, uh, it's like a it's a beautiful community where people. I don't understand. I'm not articulate. I wish I could say something nice well, to I'll, wrap this up. And you, ju- like, wow. I'll jump in and <laughs> I'll jump in and say I will say we do have to wrap this up first of all because uh, in eight minutes I am actually interviewing the Blue Meanie. Believe it or not. Um, oh and, yeah, tell him yeah. I said what's up. I will. Is this a good transition here? I'll probably play your guys' interviews back to back on on two days next week. Um, but. Uh, I have always, because I spent a lot of time in the improv community, which is a little different than the stand-up community. Um, but I, I, there was so much politics and drama in the Chicago improv scene. It really, it became, an, it became very negative for me, which is one of the reasons I don't, I'm not really in the scene anymore. And when I found the pro wrestling community, I found that there was just so much more respect amongst the wrestlers. And I think what the thing is is that when you, even if you don't like somebody, you still have to go into a ring with them at some point and give them your body, right? Like, you can't you can't do this without having some level of respect. With comedians, they'll, t- they'll, they'll take your fillings to, to buy a sandwich, right? Like they, <laughs> you know, I... I, I, I yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. We don't, we don't understand. need each other. Yeah, yeah. stand-ups are solo, so I always had some jealousy towards the sketch community for like sketch comedy improv because you guys need each other and like so you hang out there's more of a camaraderie out of by default you know that's all a front and like st- I, what's that <laughs> it's all a front i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i know i must still yeah yeah everyone still hate each other but like i don't know it's like less lonely you know like that's what being like at, a, at these wrestling things reminds me of being on america's Got talent because like that was the first time i've ever been like part of a whole thing I'm like, oh my god! Look, there's dancers over there. There's, there's like whatever the singer. I don't know. There's all these. There's a whole variety of things. It's like now, right now, I'm in a hotel room by myself. I haven't talked to a person in like 12 hours. You know? Sure. And so, now but whatever. You know? I also I don't have to share a room with anyone, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. Anyway. No. Well, I, I, listen, I think if you cut out like 80% of this interview, it's a really good interview. No, it's all, it's all staying. It's all staying, Taylor. You know what? This was, <laughs> this was very good audio. Uh, I think people will enjoy this. Uh, where do you want to send people to find you, follow you, support you, all those great things, Taylor? Um, TaylorWilliamson.com and at TaylorComedy on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I tour a bunch, and uh, I have an hour or it's not an hour. If I have a comedy special on Amazon Prime, you can watch for free. It's also illegally uploaded to YouTube by my cousin Craig. Um, uh, if you just look that up, and uh, I have an album. I don't know. You look me up. You can find things and decide if you like me or um, I don't know. And uh, and thank you for uh, 
having me on your your show. Justin, thank you so much for talking the news of the day with me at the top of the show. Blue Meanie, Taylor Williamson, you were both fantastic. I hope you all enjoyed that audio out there. Really love both those guys. Hope to have them back here much sooner than later. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, you enjoy our post shows, of which, Justin, you have become a staple now on our post-Smackdown shows. You're all in on this thing. Yeah, every Tuesday uh, I'm there with Matt Morgan and, and Glenn uh, Rubenstein. And I got to say, last night really was uh, – I, I got I got Matt Morgan uh, to – to, to crack up to a point of having to walk away from the microphone or, or at least back away from the microphone. We had a lot of fun. Uh, many would say the post-Smackdown last night show with us was probably more entertaining than SmackDown itself. Well, there you go. If not <laughs> as big, if not bigger than the actual SmackDown event, our post-show programming there. And if you want all the audio from Wrestling Inc., go over to the Wrestling Inc. iTunes channel, five-star ratings, uh, comments, always appreciated. Uh, also, go over to the Ringside Wrestling app. It is free to download. Download the Ringside Wrestling app every Friday, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, you can uh, go over there, watch Raj Geary and I talk to top five stories of the week, join the chat room, have a lot of fun. It's Winkly TV every Friday on the Ringside Wrestling app at 2 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, we'll be back, Justin and I, back in the saddle. Uh, another two big interviews here on the show tomorrow. We're going to have none other than former Cruiserweight champion, the man who just returned to Impact Wrestling, TJP. TJ Perkins will be back here on the Winkly tomorrow talking about his impact return, talking about going to his mom's home country of Manila to get to perform for PWR here in October. And also on the show after the TJP, TJP interview tomorrow, we are going to have an interview with uh, WWE superstar Ali's personal videographer, Craig Mitchell. If you guys enjoyed the Nick Mondo interview I did a little while back talking about the Moxley vignettes, you're going to really love the interview I did with Craig he talks about the process that him and Ali uh, have for putting together the promos Ali has been doing that people really seem to be taking to on WWE TV right now. Uh, and also, Craig is an independent wrestler on his own who trains with Ali. So you're going to get here a chance to, to learn about Craig, but you're also going to get to hear some fun facts, some tidbits, some Easter eggs about those Ali promos that have been going on SmackDown. You enjoy the Ali promos, Justin? Very much so. Very much so. They, they kind of... Um... Especially when they aired last week, it felt very much like, you know, Bruce Wayne talking to me and getting ready to transform, you know, into the bat. Well, you're going to like this interview then tomorrow. So TJP, Craig Mitchell, come on back tomorrow. Plug it in your ear holes, the Winkley. Justin, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here to wrap up the show today? Hit the old follow button, at Justin Labar. All right, and I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it.